Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, September the 10th, 2022. It is currently 6.48 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it's Saturday night. Now, there was a time in my life, Saturday night, I would have, my thoughts would be completely somewhere else and focused on doing other things. But as a Christian on this particular Saturday night, I'm really focused on not so much of what's happening tonight and what I want to do this evening and things I want to accomplish this evening. I'm really focusing on tomorrow morning around 10 a.m., 11 a.m., whatever time zone you may be, wherever you may live, think about Sunday morning around 10 or 11 a.m., all right? And I want you to think about your drive to your particular church. If you go to church, I want you to think about that drive to church. If you don't go to church, just the next time you're out driving around the particular city or the particular area in which you live, just look around. I want you to look around, and I want you to notice all the different churches, right? And sometimes it's utterly ridiculous, right? You have a church literally on like this street corner and right across the street, right? On the opposite corner is another church. And sometimes just a little ways down the road. Let me just, let me just give you an example. All right. I'll just give you an example. Okay. I live here in a, um, a, a housing development. And if I get back out of my driveway, and I drive straight down to the stop sign. It's about a block and a half. Oh, oh, we'll call it two blocks from where my house sits to the stop sign, right? And then once I get to that stop sign, I'm out of the housing development. So it's really two blocks out of this little housing development area. It's not very, it's just a really small, nice little housing development. It's hard to, to really describe it. But yeah, there, there it is. It's basically two streets in this housing development, okay? So I get to the stop sign. As soon as I turn right and I drive maybe two minutes, three minutes, to the left is a large, large Nazarene church. All right, there's a Nazarene church. If I continue to drive maybe another two to three minutes, that or that's on the left-hand side of the road. On the left-hand side is the Nazarene church. I turn right on the left-hand side of the road is the Nazarene church. If I continue to drive, maybe two, three minutes, maybe, if even that, maybe two minutes. I believe there is a, I believe it's a church of Christ. It's on the right-hand side. And if I continue to drive about another two to three minutes, on the left-hand side is a gigantic, uh, well, it's a Southern Baptist church. It's kind of like the mega church here in in this city because there's a Southern campus and a Northern campus. It's called The Park used to be called Beltway Park Baptist. They dropped the name Baptist, now the, and they dropped Beltway. Now it's just the park, the park. Okay, now if I, if I could go past the, the park and I get to this, the traffic light, I'm going to turn, if I turn right onto Buffalo Gap Road, I don't know how far I have to drive. I'm going to find, to see how many churches. I'm going to find a Pentecostal church. I'm going to find a, uh, I guess, a Disciples of Christ church. I'm going to find a Baptist church. There's probably four or five churches within like two or three blocks of each other right there on that road. It's just insane. Like if I just count the churches probably within a seven-minute drive of my house, 
probably a seven minute drive from my house. I probably could be at 10, 15, maybe even 20 churches, literally seven minutes from my house. There's churches everywhere. Now, clearly, if you have one church here and another church just three or four minutes away, why are they separate churches? Because they don't believe the same thing. They don't, they're not, and if they're in agreement, then they would just like, why be separate? Be one, be stronger, more resources, more money, more people, more, more things. No, no, no. They're separated They're because one believe, no. And in some cases, maybe they used to be a part of that other. There's probably people sitting in one church that used to be in the other church and they left that church because they started disagreeing with that church. All I'm saying is on any good Sunday morning, when you're driving to church or just anytime, Look at all the different churches. Look and just think think about all the different theological perspectives all of those churches represent. How their doctrine differs from their doctrine and how their doctrine says they're wrong and how their doctrine says they're wrong. It is insane just to drive to my church, Victory Baptist Church in Ovalo, Texas. I mean, I'm, <laughs> there's so many churches and and look, we we would not agree with them. They would not agree with us. Now, I, I mention all of that because we are obviously in an ongoing series about steps to unify the church. In fact, the exact name of the series, let me pull it up here. The exact name of the series, if you go to the Church One app, you can see it. Steps to Unite the Church. And we're looking at some suggest, suggested steps that's supposed to help unite the church. So far, the steps we looked at are the most meaningless, useless, vanity of vanity type of suggestions I've ever heard. They, they really would not do anything or accomplish anything. But hey, we're going to work through all seven that they suggest. We're taking them one at a time. But it's just, it's just insane how divided the church is, how how. And some would say, how diverse. It's not diversity when you're like, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, we are right. No, we are right. Everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks the other is wrong. I mean, if you don't believe me, just hang out on social media and watch Christians you know, argue. And this pastor is garbage. And he is a false teacher. No, you're a false teacher. That's false doctrine. No, you have false doctrine. No, your church is garbage. No, your church is garbage. We do it the right way. No, we do it the right way. And you're just like, you know what? I, I, I don't even care anymore. It is broken, it is divided, it is disunity reigns, it is, it's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, but it's the reality, and there's no way to get around that reality. So it's Saturday night, I'm here in the Theology Central studio. Now, yes, right here next to me, I'm trying to prepare for what I'm going to teach tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church. There's going to be some people out of town, so I'm going to I'm going to make some changes. I think tomorrow for Sunday school and Sunday morning it's all going to be the book of Jude. So I think I'm going to make some changes there. But you know what? Whatever I teach on the book of the way I teach, the way I preach and what I teach, I guarantee you if people listening online will disagree, people who go to different churches disagree. There's people in my church who, who probably will disagree. And who knows if they won't leave at some point, because that's just the way it works in Christianity. Nobody can agree on anything. Disunity is everywhere. And at times it just grows to the point that I, 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 I don't even, I, I literally, there was a time in my life I would want to argue and fight. Now I'm like, oh, you disagree. I, I don't even care anymore. 
Believe whatever you want. You're going to believe whatever you want anyway. My words don't mean anything. My words carry no weight. My words have no authority. You're going to believe whatever you want anyway. So it's just, I, I just grow so tired of it. But I guess what I'm so frustrated right now is because this is part four in this series. And you think by the time we get to part four and we're looking at an article posted at a Christian website to give us steps to bring about unity, I could be able to go, wow, those are challenging. Those are convicting. But I've looked at them and I'm like, this is, this is just words. <laughs> They're words without meaning. It, it's clouds without rain. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all symbol without substance. It's, it's, it's just a shadow. There's no, but it's a shadow without a reality behind it. I don't know what other ways to describe it. But here we go. Let's remind ourselves of what we looked at so far. And I would challenge you to go back and listen to part one and part two and part three. And please note, these episodes for this series are being very short on purpose because I could go through all seven of the things suggested here and it would only take me a couple of minutes because there's really not much substance. But I'm trying to give you one at a time for you to think about. Remember, I'm still asking you to give me three things you think that the church could do to bring about unity in the body of Christ. And uh, I'm not getting a lot of suggestions, to be honest. I'm whole, I was really thinking I was going to get more, but let's remember how this started. It started with this. This is how the article begins. It was Jesus himself who said, who said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. The same applies for the church. If we are divided against ourselves, and we, we will be ruined and we will not stand. And remember, I challenge the way this is written. If Matthew 12, 25 is supposed to be applied to the church and every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And, you, and this article says it's applied to the church. Well, then this is how the, this article should read. Matthew 12, 25 applies for the church. Therefore, the church is divided Therefore, the church is ruined, and therefore the church has fallen. Because you can't tell me if we are divided, we'll be ruined and we will not stand. The church has been divided for basically 2,000 years, okay? There's been fighting and schism and division constantly. And even if you say, well, and early on it was, well, then you can go from the Reformation forward, and it's been divided. So to say, if we're divided, we will be ruined and we will not stand, it's just a ridiculous statement because we are divided. Therefore, if, you're, if your premise is correct, we are ruined and the church has fallen. Okay, now there's far more here, but I'm not going to go back and read it again because we've, we've made, it, made it through it many times. So here is this. With this goal of seeing God's people unite around him rather than divide over political and social issues, here are some principles to put into practice. So here, here is some principles to help us steps to unity, steps to unite the church. Here we go. Member number one, recognize that unity is very important to God. Very important to the Lord. If we will all just recognize how important unity is, well, the only problem is if we say unity is important, then that means the church is in a perpetual state of disobedience because it's not unified. And if it's so important, why won't God do something to help the unity? Right? And then they quote John 17, or at least they reference it. Well, if Jesus prayed for it, then why wasn't his prayer answered? Trump, some try to say his prayer was answered, and it's an artificial unity. 
it's a superficial unity. And what it means is every person who is saved is a part of invisible body of Christ. Therefore, we're unified there, but we're not unified in any practical way. And then my argument with that is, wait a minute. So what good is the unity that we cannot see, we do not experience? And let's be honest, we don't even agree who's in the invisible body of Christ. We can't even agree who's there. We don't even really honestly know who's there because it would require true salvation. And it's impossible for you to tell me who's saved and who isn't saved. So it's just some superficial theory. It, it, but for some Christians, that makes them feel better. But I, I, I don't know. It, it, does God really care about unity? And if he does, why are we so divided? So that was number one. I don't know how that's a step to unity, but okay. Number two, learn to appreciate the diversity in the body. Well, I, I can't appreciate diversity in the body when I have churches that teach people that because of what Jesus did on the cross, physical healing is guaranteed for the here and now. I don't appreciate that diversity. I condemn that diversity. And I think it's horrible, horrible theology that should be condemned and should not even be a part of Christianity because of how many lives it has destroyed. I'm sorry, I don't accept or relish or appreciate the diversity where people walk around saying, God told me this and God, and they supposedly are hearing from God all. No, because I believe God only speaks to us through his word. I don't appreciate that. I believe it's damaging and confusing and, and detrimental. I, I, I don't appreciate the diversity of those who say you can lose your salvation. I don't appreciate the diversity of those who sprinkle a baby at eight days old and say, voila, here's a Christian. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. I, I don't appreciate that diversity because how can I preach diversity when the diversity means that someone is wrong? They call it diversity. I call it someone is teaching something incorrect. It could be me, but either I'm wrong or they're wrong. That's not diversity. That is, listen, doctrinal error. So where do we come to tonight? Tonight, we come to number three. Number one, recognize unity is important. Number two, learn to appreciate diversity, which is such a meaningless statement. Number three, find some common ground in Jesus. <laughs> oh, does that, does, that make you, does, that, does that make you feel, okay, good. When I drive past all of those churches, what I need to do is not worry about all the different doctrines, all the different theologies. Don't worry about the division. Don't worry about the disunity. Just know that I have something in common around Jesus with all of these individuals. We have something in common about Jesus. This is how they describe it. Now, some of you may like this one, but I, obviously I have problems with it. But this is how they describe it. Here we go. Share your testimonies with each other. Talk about your relationship with the Lord and what he means to you. Share some favorite scriptures or spiritual truths. Find some family kinship before you explore your differences. All right. This sounds... Like, on one hand, you may go, oh, that sounds so good. All right, but let's just see how this works. So first of all, this is not going to bring actual unity to the body of Christ. This would be how to deal with other believers whom you have great doctrinal differences. So what you need to do, okay, look, you're 
You go to this church, I go to this church, you believe this theology, I believe this theology. Let's not talk about our differences. Let's talk about our testimony. Okay, well, how do I understand someone's testimony if they said, well, I was born in a Lutheran family. At eight days of age, they sprinkled me, and I became a Christian. Uh, wow, I see. Uh, what? Uh, what is, uh, well, um, okay, we don't really have much in common there. Okay, but okay. Um, talk about your relationship with the Lord and what he means to you. All right. I, I think we, we could probably do that with individuals. We could talk. So what's your relationship with God like? What's your relationship with Christ? Now, we would have to define what they, what they actually believe about Christ. <laughs> what do they actually believe about God? Because a lot of Christians out there who seem to really have uh, no understanding maybe of not only the Trinity, but the deity of Christ. But I'm assuming we're just supposed to ignore that. So long as they say Jesus and can talk about a relationship, okay, I'll play along. But this is where it's all going to fall apart. Share some favorite scriptures. Now, are, are they just supposed to share a scripture? What if they square, share a scripture that they've ripped so far out of context that I don't even know why they're like, wait, that's your favorite. Why is that your favorite scripture? It has literally nothing to do with you. Am I supposed to not say anything? Or like, oh, that's a beautiful scripture. I'm glad it's your favorite. Or am I supposed to ask questions? No, 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 don't ask questions. And then share some spiritual truths. Well, okay. What if I don't agree with their spiritual truths and they don't agree with mine? I don't know how this is supposed to bring about unity. If you keep it vague, okay, but once you start quoting scripture and you start naming spiritual truths, the division and the disunity is going to raise its ugly head in about 3.2 seconds unless I'm just supposed to ignore anything they say. Oh, here's a spiritual truth I've been holding on to and you're looking at them going, that is not in truth, that's an error. But am I not supposed to say anything? Find some family kinship before you explore your differences. Now, again, I don't know how this is supposed to bring unity to the body of Christ. I may be able to find, you know, okay, you're, I'm not questioning your Christianity. You're not questioning my Christianity, but I think you're absolutely wrong in your doctrine. You think I'm absolutely wrong in the doctrine. So this is a kind of thing like we, we, we agree to disagree but we'll still be friends. Well, that's not going to bring about unity because you're going to still go to your church. I'm still going to go to my church. You're going to still believe your theology. I'm still going to believe my theology. So where's the unity? It's just some fictitious unity. Well, well, we're, we're still brothers in the Lord. Now, I think you're completely wrong and I would never go to your church and I think you're completely wrong. But I, so I, what is this? I, I don't know what else to say about this one. So the first thing we're supposed to do is recognize that, that unity is very important. Then number two, we, we're, we're supposed to learn to appreciate the diversity. So just please note how this works. Unity is important, but I appreciate the diversity. So now what I'm calling, I'm calling disunity simply diversity. Calling disunity diversity is just ridiculous. It's not diversity, it's disunity. Hey, hey, we're just diverse. We're just diverse. No, you're disunified. There's no unity. So it's around, it's like, it's like when we play a game. Oh, isn't it so wonderful? I appreciate the diversity of all the churches that in a seven, in about a seven minute drive from my house, there's probably 15, 20 churches. Isn't that, I love that di the diversity. 
Those churches don't. I got Lutheran churches baptizing babies. I've got Church of Christ telling me you can lose your salvation and believing in baptismal regeneration and the whole idea of restoring the, the whole restoration movement. I've got, uh, well, basically the park is, if that's Southern Baptist is basically a charismatic megachurch. I've got Nazarenes believing in that, what, that, that perfect, that second sanctification that you can reach where you reach some kind of sinless perfection. All right. I, I mean, give me a breath. I could go through all the, the things around it. They're just, it's a train wreck. I got Catholics. I got Pentecostals who deny the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, all, all within seven minutes of my house, but Hey, I appreciate the diversity. Diversity is just a code word for disunity. So I don't know what that even means. And then third, oh, I find some common ground in Jesus. Well, I'm so glad the Pentecostals believe in Jesus. Oh, not obviously not the same Jesus I believe in because they deny the doctrine of the Trinity. And well, I'm I'm glad I, I could, that me and that Catholic has some we we have the same thing with with wait, they, their whole concept of salvation is different than my, my like what does that even mean? that we find some kind of common ground in Jesus. But that's their, their, their steps so far. Does that, do, do, do you feel like that if we follow these steps, we're going to fix the problem? Hey, everyone, unity is important, okay? Now, everybody go to your different churches. Hey, number two, while everyone's going to their different churches, just make sure you're like, man, unity is so important to Jesus. Okay, now you get in your cars, go to different churches. But as you drive past those other churches, I want you just to go, everyone look, diversity, isn't it so beautiful, right? I don't, I don't even know what this means. And then third going, isn't it wonderful that we can drive past all of these churches that are so diverse from us and we know that we have common ground about Jesus? This just sounds like make-believe, I know what you're saying, but, but so what do you think the steps to unity are? I'm not going to tell you yet. The whole point is listen to the entire series. You may be saying, well, don't you have better options? I don't know if I have better options, better suggestions or better solutions, but I'm going to try to come, I'm going to try to come up with something that's far more tangible than this, like words without any substance. There's, these words are meaningless. They don't mean anything. There's no, there's not, what, what am I supposed to do? How are any of these words going? There you go. You've just fixed it. You've produced unity. No, the best this could do is referring to unity in our personal relationships with a fellow believer who goes to a different church, but this would still leave them going to a different church. Still, we would, our churches would not be unified. Sometimes I think what Christians want, and I, I hate to say this, we want, quote unquote, relationship and friendship more than we want truth. We want the appearance of unity without the actual sacrifice to obtain unity. All right, I'm going to stop there. I know, I know uh, that's... It's hard for me to stop because I feel like I need to give them more, but I know I want to leave you wanting more. And I want, I'm trying to leave you hoping to engage me in this conversation. What are three things you think the church could do to bring about unity? I want tangible, meaningful suggestions. Email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Can't wait to hear your suggestions. Whenever we're done with the seven, 
I may do one episode just reading everyone else's, and then I'll do an episode just giving mine. If I don't have enough of everyone else's, then I'll just give mine. But I will end this series with at least mine, all right? All right, thank you for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And as you drive to church tomorrow morning, just look around at all the disunity, all the division, because it cannot be denied. Thanks for listening. God bless.